0: This is Anabaptist Perspectives.
1: What is union with Christ, and why should Christians care? Kyle Stalsfuss is our guest for this episode. You may have recognized him from several previous episodes of Anabaptist Perspectives. Kyle is an instructor at Faith Builders Educational Programs and a pastor at Shalom Mennonite Church. In a previous conversation that we had, Kyle, You used the phrase, gospel of sin management. What is this?
0: The gospel of sin management. I actually, I don't remember using that phrase, but the the gospel of sin management is kind of this catch-all phrase that was used first by Dallas Willard, as far as I looked. And what it describes is the gospel of God becoming, you might say, our divine butler, and our cosmic therapist. It's barcode Christianity, where the, 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 the chief good news of the gospel is that your sin is being dealt with, which is really good news, but the way it's dealt with is that there's this kind of barcode put on us. Okay, You say a few words, some kind of uh, transaction happens. There might be a few feelings involved. And this transaction means that our sin problem is taken care of. Okay, so far so good. Uh, when we get to heaven, though, all that really happens is that there's this barcode scanning that happens, and the barcode that's been placed extrinsically on us is scanned, and um, we get to go to heaven. That it briefly is is the kind of the picture of it. But uh, sin is dealt with in a forensic declaration that's placed totally exterior to us without some kind of accompanying change within us. I, I'd suggest to it, it kind of breaks out into a number of other ways of, of seeing God, again, as a kind of divine butler, cosmic therapist. It could be the, the gospel of niceness of some forms of liberal Protestantism. Uh, we all share in common a, a brotherhood of mankind and a fatherhood of God, and then we can smile and be nice to each other because of that gospel. The more the more I thought about the, think about the question, though, too, it's it's this it's kind of merges into this larger concern of. I'll say this yet, and then we'll stop. Uh, moralistic therapeutic deism is the word. And that's a 2005 book. It's worth looking at, which did an assessment. Of American young people, Christians, and found that a lot of what these folks were interested in is seeing God as being distant except when they needed to feel good or feel better in a significant way they felt better about themselves with God just saying, you know what, you're okay, you're okay, you're forgiven, it's all good, uh, you, you don't need to worry about that sin thing and then that bar is placed on them and they can kind of go on living their lives as if nothing has changed. So, so briefly, it's, it's just a, it's a presentation of the gospel, which, which makes its primary concern something less than the whole picture of what God seems to have in mind since the start, and that's, I think, people who are in spirit and in truth living into the picture of the new creation that the whole of Scripture gives us.
1: Mm-hmm. So am I understanding you correctly that this is in contrast to a fuller picture of the gospel and you've mentioned union with Christ so I'm curious in contrasting these what would a fuller picture offer that gospel of sin management or moralistic therapeutic deism does not yeah what more is there yeah that's the important question.
0: I think it's important to recognize that the gospel of sin management does have some true parts to it, right? Um, we do have a sin problem and and we can't just take care of that ourselves. There's a significant amount of that work falls to God. Okay, it gets some parts of that right. It's just when there's certain other additions and when it's narrowed down to mean only that uh, my sin problem is dealt with later on, and that sin is the only part of the gospel we need to be concerned with. That's where it becomes a problem. So I I think just to kind of fill in some of those other things, what else is the gospel concerned with? Well, you have to start to incorporate not just those parts that deal with our problems, but also those parts that deal with what God's intentions are and what his hopes are what uh, ambitions he has for both us and for creation. So you could start at the very beginning. There's creation, it's pronounced good, and there's, there's people, God's image bearers, who are placed here in creation to, to both extend God's domain in the world and, and also to make God visible in the world, to actually present what God is like. There's the promise that was offered to, to Abraham. You move on, Genesis 12, 15. There's gonna be people, there's gonna be land, there's gonna be a blessing, and there's going to be uh, the blessedness of these people. You keep on going, there's Israel. They're called to be royal priests and to love the Lord their God with their heart, soul, mind, strength. Jesus extends that as his neighbor as yourself. There's the, the kingship of David and and his kingdom, and there's this promise to David that, that there's going to be a descendant on his throne forever. So you hear, we're kind of rolling along, and there's more and more and more being added in as we go. There's Jeremiah 31, which really starts to penetrate into you and me as these image bearers, these dominion extenders, where God's law, God says that the intention of his law is to be written onto our hearts in such a way that I won't have to approach you and say, you know, know the Lord because you'll already be seeking him. You'll already be knowing him. In brief, part of that whole picture, and this is being unfair because there's so many aspects to it, part of that whole picture is people who are so closely aligned with God, they're so in touch with God's mission that they share his actual life. That is to say, they share his spirit. They can enter into his life in a way that extends God's mission into the world. In the the relationships they cultivate, the kinds of things they do with their time, the the sorts of things that they care about—all of that kind of gets wrapped up in this. And God gets to give direction to all of those things, not just the things that make us feel good necessarily. But we're not quite done. We're pushing forward of saying, "What's this union with Jesus like?" As you move forward in the biblical story, uh, Jesus is presented as the new human being. And in a lot of ways, he's not just a new one. He's the original human being. And in the strict sense, he's the only true human being. Okay, He is, in other words, everything that God envisioned from the beginning. He takes all of these aspects, he takes all of these promises, all of these hopes, all the expectations that God has had for his human creation from the beginning, and he fulfills them in himself. I was just reading from Matthew this morning. It's beautiful how how Matthew presents all of these promises as answering to Jesus. It's a little bit more explicit in the writings of, of Paul, where Paul says, that um he just says it he's, you know this is this is the second Adam, there's the first one, and then this is the second one who has a life giving spirit. He's not just giving our material human existence, he's actually bringing us to life God intends us to be so I, I just want to draw the contrast here a little bit. This is what it means to have union with Christ to be in Christ is to have the Divine life of Jesus, on which all those accumulated hopes, all the expectations God has for us are brought to bear on Jesus, and he becomes the true human being, the second Adam. For us, that means everything. It means everything as Christians, because when we join into relationship with him, when we're in him, Paul's phrase, when we're in union with him, that's when we begin to actually live our lives as true human beings, and it's also when our sin problem is taken care of. The words of um, uh, Hooker, uh, Thomas Hooker, I think, no, it's Thomas, that's Thomas Cranmer. Uh, wow, well, he's, he's an English theologian um, around the time of the divines, and he, he calls it this, this mutual inward hold that Christ has on us and that we have on him. That's what union kind of looks like in a picture. I think it's just a,
1: it's an astonishing and it's a beautiful picture. Mutual inward hold. That has huge implications. As you're talking, um, that sounds familiar. Are you talking about theosis?
0: Hmm. Well, yeah, I think that's a helpful way to talk about it. I've um, I first encountered the word theosis in some studies of early church history. It's a really pretty freighted uh, Greek term that uh, early Christians used to describe some of what this process of coming into Christ actually looks like. So for them, it it means something like this, this living, dynamic, breathing participation in the actual life of Jesus Christ. So we're not just bystanders looking on, we're actually entering into Jesus' life in a, in a very intimate way, so it's a good word.
1: So, In practical terms, if a Christian has gotten beyond the gospel of sin management, what does that mean for how we think about the sinful urges that we might still experience or behaviors? What do we make of that? What do we do with it? Mm -hmm.
0: So if Christians have gotten beyond, just to repeat the question, if Christians have gotten beyond the gospel of sin management, Mm
1: -hmm.
0: which does give you a way of addressing your sin. Yes, Right, it so says you confess that mm-hmm. Jesus takes care of it. Don't think about that sin anymore. Which there's some truth to that, right? If you've gotten beyond the gospel of sin management, how do you think about sin now? Exactly. Yeah. The way the biblical writers tend to talk about our sin problem, which is still part of our, it's still part of our Christian experience. They're still grappling with sin. They're still dealing with it the first response is, well, are you in Christ? Because if a person is in Christ, there's kind of an assumption there that that is something that Jesus is taking care of on their behalf and has taken care of, okay? Which for me anyway, gives, gives a fair bit of security. It's like, that's something that, um, well, it's one of the benefits of being in Christ, which is why it's such a big deal. For people who are in Christ, there is now you know, remembrance of sin. But I'd, I'd also be quick to say that uh, for somebody who's in union with Christ, you're now in the fight of your life. I said previously that part of what Christ does is he takes us as human creation and he perfects us. That is, he is the true Adam, He's the second one, but he's in some ways the true Adam, and in the strict sense of it, he's the only human being, or the truest one. So a lot of what our task then becomes for those of us who are in Christ is to become true humans after the fashion of the true Adam. You're in the fight of your life now. Because those inclinations that we have, the sin that clings to us, the sin that so easily besets us, it's at war not just with not, not just with our appetites, it's at war with our true self, which is in Christ. That's going to be a lifelong process to deal with, but it does kind of up the stakes a little bit. We're fighting not just against sin, we're fighting for our true self, our true nature, which is in Christ. And I know I'm using that language in ways that can intersect people talk about finding themselves and saying, Well, if you find yourself, you're going to find yourself in Christ, which which puts us in a little bit of a different spot there. But I don't want to minimize that. You you're in Christ, you're hidden in Christ, yes, but at the same time, we're not complete. We're already in Christ, but we're not yet complete in Christ. And that's a lot of what this difficulty of sin is for. Is it's laying out the contours of the race that we're going to have to run from here until we actually see him face to face. So to try to get practical with it, what's that look like? The, the first thing I'm gonna suggest is that for a Christian to, to deal with their sin, if they're in Christ, you may have to enter more fully into baptism. I'm thinking of this maybe just because we, we had a number of young, young folks in um, the local congregations here who were baptized, so it's on my mind. We have to learn how to die daily, and how to live into the resurrection life that is going to require, like baptism is a mark of, that's going to require some self-discipline. It's going to mean some self-denial, and it's going to mean some detachment from things we're caring about, from uh, the sin that's getting in our way. We're going to have to learn to distance ourselves from that and die to it. There's no other way around it. At the same time, in the, the resurrection of baptism, we need to keep on cultivating the, the loves that we have to see in Jesus, somebody who is so compelling and so beautiful and so whole that our sin just isn't quite as attractive anymore. I don't know of any shortcut. You can't, you can't just lop off the sin and say, okay, I've, I've smothered that. And then the house is just clean and garnished You're just leaving yourself vulnerable. You've you've got to attach yourself to Jesus and find in him something that's much more compelling and beautiful. And you'll find that in worshiping community. I'd add the possibility of trust. You you enter poorly into baptism. You you also have to learn to trust Jesus as you're dealing with sin. If if in my basement, this happened this past week, I was dealing with a leaky pipe in my basement. and I was, trying to, I was trying to work at it myself. In the end, got some things figured out. We got the pipe not leaking anymore. But if, if I had called a plumber in, if I had called a plumber in and I'd showed him this leaky pipe, and I'm like, okay, um, I'd like you to fix this leaky pipe. And he says, okay, you know, it's gonna take this and this and this, and here's the time I think it'll take. And you're gonna have to do it this way if you want this pipe to stop leaking. And I'd be like, you know, thanks for your time, but I just don't want to do it that way. The reality is, even though I've had that plumber there to deal with my problem, I don't actually trust him. Okay? So I, I'm just suggesting with it, I think, that it's similar. When, when we've got sin that we're dealing with, when there's leaky pipes in our basements, sometimes it's much more obvious than that. There is an issue of trust. Am I going to trust Jesus? and the kinds of things he tells me to do through scripture, through his spirit? Or will I be more like, no, thanks, but no thanks. I think I can handle this. Those are some nice suggestions you've got for me there, but I'm pretty sure I can handle this one. And, and the same with the, with the Christian community. If you've got a community that can speak, that you've invited into those parts of your life, are you willing to trust? Or is there a basic disposition of distrust there? That becomes really important. And just the final thing I'll pile on there is, uh, if there's baptism, there's trust, hope. It's just critical here. For us to deal with our sin, if, if a person is stuck in repetitive cycles of sin after a while, their life gets so wound around them, they, they, they lose hope. And wherever despair is, there's, there's an entrance for continued doubt. There's an entrance for continued problems of sin. And it just keeps on layering on and on and on. So we have to have a secure grasp on who we are in Christ. Uh, I could mention, you know, Colossians 3, 3 is beautiful. There's 1 Corinthians 13.12. John, uh, his his gospel and his epistles just give a beautiful picture of who Christians truly are as they're entering into their new life with Jesus. And, and for me, that's a that's a compelling picture of who I truly am. And it also helps me to release
1: the sin that's holding me down and keeping me from becoming that person. Thank you for that answer. That was, that was good. So how can a Christian move towards union with Christ? Mm-hmm. The how question. Yes. Um, I, I'm feeling, I'm feeling
0: a mixed response there. And it's just because we're not dealing with, well, Lewis's terms, he's not a tame lion. And sometimes Jesus, through the Spirit, will meet us on his terms in ways that are hard to predict and that sometimes we, we just got to recognize he's, he's pursuing me. And uh, I may not be able to set up certain terms by which I can negotiate a meeting with Jesus. So there, there is an aspect here of us entering into a relationship with not just a process, not just a model. This is an encounter with the living God by his Spirit so I, i'm i'm hesitating you know just a little bit it it can't be mechanistic i can't just turn a lever i can't even simply be baptized as important and critical as it is and say now i've got it i've figured it out finally there's there's always an aspect of the divine in god encountering us at the same time i think it's artificial to say that just because god is pursuing me there's nothing that i can do to pursue union with Christ, because that's at least in the biblical world, that's not how it's set up, and it's not how people of God have talked about this. So I'd suggest maybe three things, and I'll be brief here. Uh, the first thing you've heard me talk about, but it's community. Enter enter into a community that follows Jesus and is and is is responding to, and is um, being directed by what's in scripture, which gives us a a way of kind of discerning what it looks like to be in Christ and they're doing that together. We don't do well as Christians to try to do this by ourselves. Being in union with Christ, being Christ's body does have an individual part to it, but many times that language is used to talk about local assemblies, to talk about the church, to talk about Christ's body being who he is. So do it together. I'd, I'd also suggest don't only look for the big experiences. Enter into union with Christ in the, the very everyday parts of your life, of your work. Pause throughout the day. Recognize who you are in Jesus and invite the Spirit to work more fully into your life and work. In the more extraordinary sense, I think there's, there's just always going to be new places where Christ hasn't been named there's always going to be places where there's injustice and where there's suffering and where us entering into union with Christ means making him visible in those places, bringing some kind of presence into places where people are alienated from God, uh, where there's suffering, where there's injustice and and naming Jesus there as well. That's one aspect of what it means to be in partnership with him and to uh, to be in Christ as well.
1: Well, thank you so much for engaging with this topic and for joining us for this episode. I think we'll end it soon. But is there anything else that you would like to add before we bring this to a close?
0: I I think I just maybe reflect this way. There, there are again. There's parts of the gospel of of sin management that are true. And and for myself, I think that's that's where I started off. I, I knew I had a problem. I knew Jesus was the answer to that problem. That's the right answer. So if, if that's where you're at, if you're listening in, I don't want to be discouraging. That's a good place to be at. I would just hope to keep on layering on, keep on expanding the horizons. There's incredible horizons of goodness and of beauty and of justice, of worthwhile life and work, which keep on expanding and opening up to a person who's in
1: Christ. So just don't stay limited there. That is wise advice. Thank you. And thank you for joining us for this episode. Yeah, good to be with you.
0: For more information about Anabaptist Perspectives, to read our blog, to donate, and to see videos of the conversations you hear on this podcast, visit anabaptistperspectives.org. We love to hear from our audience, so leave your feedback in the comments for this podcast or send us a message through our Facebook page. Thank you for listening. And we'll be back next week with another episode of Anabaptist Perspectives.
1: Thank you for joining us for this episode, and thanks to our donors and partners for making this possible. To learn more about this ministry, view our About Us video linked below. You can also subscribe to our supporters update at anabaptistperspectives.org.